probably many of us uh, have been impacted by the ministry and writing of John Melende, um, this other key figure in the Ugandan revival that has gone on in different waves over decades. So um, I was quite surprised and pleased and excited when I heard that Pastor Jumba, that he actually was one of the um, also leaders of the Ugandan revival, but also helped to disciple John Melende. So if you've been impacted by John Melende, you've already, it's probably to some degree, been impacted by Pastor Jumba, and you didn't even know it. <laughs> so it is, it, as Jonathan says, it's, um, uh, it's an honor to have him here with us. And I was exposed to Pastor Jumba the first time in, right here in this room in September. Um, and what he unfolded before us is the works of God and the difference that prayer can make. And I don't care how deep you are in intercession already. You're about to go deeper. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, just mind-boggling. I, I remember I was a teenager. Now, I'm not a believer when I was a teenager, but I heard about this hijacking of these uh, Israelis um, in 1976, because it was on the news everywhere. I don't know if any of you remember this, but they landed in Entebbe Airport in, in Uganda. Well, anyway, in September, Pastor Jumba, he's sharing that he was at ground zero of that event with a prayer team. And I won't say anything else about it, but all these, there's been like four movies made about that incident, and one just came out in 2018. Anyway, he was actually at ground zero praying into that event. We heard the rest of the story. Let's just say we heard God's version of the story um, in September in this very room through Pastor June. Mm -hmm. Yeah, tell it again. And then, um, and then we hear the stories, if you've ever heard of the Lord's Liberation Army and how that was the destruction. It's not about the Lord, it's not about liberation, but uh, Joseph Coney and the Lord's Liberation. And then Pastor Jumba explained how the Lord called him into intercession into that battle and how he saw battles there. And then there was these other descriptions of reinforcing God's kingdom on earth through intercession, and that was my takeaway, is that we must enforce God's kingdom in our neighborhoods and in our cities, right here, right now on earth. It's the will of God, and we must do that. And so, anyway, uh, it's not an exaggeration at all to say for me, it's a life-changing experience to have sat underneath his teaching and his ministry and I feel like I only got about that much of it. I probably heard you speak three or four, maybe times last September. So I only got about this much of it, but it was truly impactful. And so, uh, Pastor Jumba, I'd like to pray for you if you would come up, and then uh, and then we'll give this uh, morning to you what the Lord has put on you. Extend a hand for the, our pastor and we pray. Father, we come to you and humble ourselves, Lord. And we understand that there's much bigger things at play than what we often understand. And now you've imparted some of those things to your servant and to his wife, Margaret. And we're just so grateful that you brought both of them here. And we're so grateful that we get to hear your word today, a word from heaven through Pastor Jumba to our hearts. And we ask you now, Lord, to soften our hearts that we receive the fullness of this word. And God, I pray, Father, that whatever he imparts, deposits in our spirits today, I pray that we will go home and deposit it to others. So God, we're asking you, Lord, here to do something eternal. God, get a hold of us deeper. And God, help build our faith greater. Lord God, thank you for the faith that this man walks in. We ask you to impart it to us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Jonathan, tell me what time should I stop talking? It's 25 to Yeah. About 10 to you know 10. Ten. Old, I'm an old man. I talk until people fall out of the window. Amen. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, you see, you see those guys back by the window when you see them go. When you know. <laughs> When you fall out the window, they'll pray for us back to the dead. <laughs> <laughs> now, the reason I'm asking you, I have to have guests right now sharing. So if you if go you to 1010, 1010. So ten past 10. 10 past 10. Yeah, all right. 10 past 10. All right. Okay. Uh, greetings in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you pick my accent. Yes? All right. Uh, I'll take my liberty to talk, uh, but I want you to respond so I know I'm coming through. <laughs> yes. Uh, I know the some places I've visited. Somebody comes up front and he says, "Preach it, brother." <laughs> um. I want to share with you testimony. For 25 years, God kept me out of America. Um, I first came to America in 1980, when was it, my 86-something. And then for 25 years, I didn't come into the, you know, the nation of America. One of the reasons was getting American visas. Um, earlier it wasn't that difficult. But then after some time it became so difficult to get visas. Now I wasn't trying to get a visa for America, but I was hearing stories from all my countrymen, you know, how they would go with the land titles to the, the visa office to show that they have property and things like that. I said, look, America is not, it's not heaven. I don't have to go to America. Amen. <laughs> and there is a certain pride which built up in me over those years. And I kind of just said, I'm not going to travel to America again. And it was um, George Otis who got me to come back to America. Because he came to Uganda and he discovered so much of what God had done in the country. And he wanted to do, you know, he wanted to do filming. So each time he wanted me to come over to participate in his conference in Washington, Seattle. And uh, the whole thought of trying to get a visa to America came back to me and I said, no, I'm not coming. Then one of his colleagues, one of his uh, work, you know, people he was working with, uh, called me one time, and he was on the telephone for a long time. I was actually driving, and I thought he was going to talk for a short time. He continued talking, trying to urge me to come to America for his, you know, the conference. And I said, "Look, I will try." He said, "No, I want, I want a word that you are coming." So I thought I would pull off the road and sit down, you know, stop and talk to him. Uh, and he just continued and continued. Kind of to please him. I don't know how it came about. Um, I said, okay, I'll come. And then that's when he hung up. <laughs> <laughs> then I wondered, what have I just committed myself to? <laughs> going to the U.S. Embassy for the visa to America. Uh, so we went with my wife to apply for the visa, carried a dossier of documents, and they didn't request for any of those documents. How long did we stay in the embassy? It was just a short time. They gave us a visa multiple entry for two years. And so we traveled to Seattle. Now, when we came into America for the first time after 25 years, um, everyone was asking us about, do you know so-and-so, do you know so-and-so, do you know so-and-so? Said, yes, I, we will know all of them. And then they were asking us about, 
work in northern Uganda. That is actually what disturbed me. Because Joseph Konye, these days the name has got known by everybody around the world, Joseph Konye, who led the rebellion yes. against Museveni, our president. He'd been involved in troubling the country for more than 20 years. And uh, one time, a soldier in the army uh, got a dream that believers, intercessors, should travel to northern Uganda where the trouble was and pray at the war front and that the trouble would come to an end. The war would come to an end. Now this soldier traveled to Kampala, the main capital, and he began to share with a few believers he knew um, what God had told him in the dream. And I didn't go to that meeting because that soldier didn't know me. But then the people knew me came and asked me um, why I hadn't attended the meeting. I said I didn't know about it. So they called me to attend the meeting the following week to get the details of the dream this soldier had had. So I tell people I made the mistake of going to the meeting. <laughs> because when, when I got there, all, most of the people attended who knew me, uh, because I'd been involved in leading prayer for the nation for many years, uh, they said, Laban, that's my name, Laban, um, you've been mobilizing us to pray for Uganda. Uh, please spearhead this move to northern Uganda to pray for the peace of the country. And at that time, that was 1998, I told them, look, my children are still young and I'm still, uh, you know, taking, getting them to school, through school and so on. Why don't you choose somebody else to go to the front, uh, the war front, to lead in prayer? I will mobilize prayer for you from the comfort of Kampala, <laughs> our main capital. Well, I didn't use the word comfort, but I will, you know, lead in prayer to cover you as you go to the war front. And uh, they urged me to lead that group. So to push them off, I told them, please give me time to pray. I said, okay, we'll give you time to pray. So <laughs> I went away and I made a second mistake. I prayed. <laughs> so when I prayed... The Lord made it very clear I should lead the intercession for northern Uganda. Not the way we had done before, but this time to go to the war front and pray from there. So I went back to this meeting and I asked the brethren, who is ready to go with me to northern Uganda? You asked me to pray. You released me to pray and I prayed and God released me to lead the group. Now, no one put up their hands to join me in the maiden journey, apart from a young man uh, who now is grown up and uh, he's called Experitor. So we traveled together the following week to the war front. Now, that was an incredible experience. The commander of the army at that time, the northern forces, in northern Uganda, he's a man called the Katumba Wamala. He was a brigadier in the army at that time. When he learned Christians were coming to pray at the war front, uh, he called for us. And we talked a bit, we discussed. Details take a long time. That's why I was asking Jonathan how long he wants me to share. But that man gave us soldiers to move with throughout the period we were in northern Uganda. Now, I can't go into details about this because I think those of you who were around last time, last September, I told a little bit of this story. Now, this began in May 1998. Most of the roads in northern Uganda had been closed because they were not being used. Mm 
people had been collected from their villages to put them in what were called displaced people's uh, camps uh, so that the army could deal with the rebels outside of those camps. It was a very difficult situation for the country. Actually, this has been the biggest challenge to the leadership of Museveni because the whole of the countryside was disturbed. And we had so many displaced people's camps. If you can imagine 60,000 people all crammed together in very difficult situ you know, conditions and so on. And there were very many of these camps. So when we moved into northern Uganda to pray, we moved with these soldiers and we would go to some of those displaced people's camps and generally go through the busher roads praying. Now we did this every two weeks from May, 20, May 1998 until December. Now it is incredible what God did. Peace and quiet began to come back to northern Uganda. Now what happened, the rebels would come in from Sudan and disturb various locations and then go back. Now, a number of times we had near misses with the rebels when we'd go to an area and then we're told they are, you know, just coming from Sudan or something like that. Incredible experiences. But you see, what we've discovered is that when the Lord is leading in this kind of mission, you don't get that natural fear. You have, it's like God covers you and you don't reason in the normal way people reason. Because I remember one of those days uh, when we'd been going for some weeks, uh, my wife and our youngest daughter came to join us. Do, do you remember after about how many months it was? But these were dangerous circumstances in Uganda. But somehow we didn't, we didn't think it was dangerous uh, because God had told us to go. Now, roads began to open up because quiet was beginning to come back. Some of the displaced people's camps began to dismantle. And the whole of 1999, there was not a single shot in northern Uganda. It was peaceful and quiet. Now, in the year 2000, Christians began to travel to northern Uganda to begin ministry again. One of those leaders put up a big conference, a, a big crusade, evangelistic crusade in one of the you know, stadiums which had been forsaken for many years in the town of Guru. Now because quiet was beginning to establish in the region, thousands of people turned up. Actually, the estimates were about 15,000 people turned up in Peche Stadium. Those of you who may know Uganda, Peche Stadium is a stadium in Gulu. Now, this is when our president was traveling through northern Uganda, and he came to the town of Gulu. He saw so many thousands of people, you know, coming into this crusade. And politicians are very interested in numbers. <laughs> so he began to inquire, what is going on here? And he was told there is a Christian gathering taking place in Peche Stadium. He said he wanted to meet the leaders. Now, at that time, I was not in northern Uganda. We had you know, gone back to the city of Kampala because we knew quiet has come back to northern Uganda. Now, in the meeting, the president called for a meeting with the leaders. In the meeting, the leaders requested him if he could give them cover to go to the hills where Konya had altars. He had shrines. And our president said, yes, please, go on. And so they got three teams to go to three hills which had those altars. Now, one of the teams was led by a brother called James. He's the current chairman of Intercessors for Uganda Board. Another one was led by uh, Peter Oyet, uh, 
who has been leading quite a powerful you know evangelistic ministry for actually he's the one who was organizing a meeting in Peche Stadium he's an evangelist and the other one was led by a pastor called uh, Samuel Macho he's based in Mbale in eastern Uganda so three teams went to the hills where Kony had shrines and they destroyed them now some intelligence information was picked up when Kony's men were talking to Kony on satellite phone and they told him that three of our shrines have been broken down but two are remaining now that piece of information was picked by our military intelligence and they told the president uh, Kony's men are telling him this and that and the other so your story is that another two groups go to those two hills to break down the rest of the you know the shrines now that time was in Kampala we had just at uh, this time my desire had been fulfilled we covered those groups going up to northern Uganda to pray uh, on the hills and to break down those altars now all of this was really orchestrated by the fact that peace had come back to northern Uganda because there was quiet from 1999 1999 onwards peace was getting restored and the you know, displaced people's camps were getting dismantled and so on. Now, it was after that, George Otis filmed the unconventional war and brought in a good number of details from those journeys to the hills. And when he came to do the filming in the city in Kampala, he interviewed lots of Christian leaders. Now, you soon pick where I'm telling you the story again. Now, most of the people he interviewed had not actually got involved in those very dangerous journeys to northern Uganda. <laughs> but they appeared in the video, in the film. And during the 25 years I was away from America, I came to learn they had become household names in America because they had been coming and talking about the prayer journeys to northern Uganda and doing all the, you know, all the missions and so on. So when I would be moving around, people would be asking me, do you know so and so they were engaged in northern Uganda prayer, you know, prayer efforts and so on. And I raised, oh, now I need to find out what people know so that I don't start <laughs> uh, telling them that we're actually the ones who are at the war front. Uh, in the earlier days. Um, so I now realized why is it that God kept me out of America? There is a lifestyle I have discovered among Christian leaders and the Christian movement in America, which thrives by uh, advertising and media and uh, um, what do you call it? How. Uh, Media. marketing and so on and uh, so I realized look uh, I can't go around telling people some of the exploits God has accomplished in our country because I'll get caught up in the American media machinery <laughs> uh, and maybe this is the reason why God kept me away for 25 years so that time I moved around a bit and had all the powerful stories of these guys who had gone to northern Uganda and they had confronted Konya and the unconventional war and so on. I realized, oh, I think this is what God wanted to keep me away from. Uh, if I had come during that time, the 25 years, maybe the anointing upon our lives could have been quenched because of the media exposure and the way the American church celebrates people. Yeah. Uh, you, you kind of push servants of God in a very dangerous position. Yeah. Uh, so I said, okay. And from that time, I've been keeping away from these big meetings of the American, you know, the conferences and so on. Actually, since we came to the meeting in, uh, in Seattle, that time with the George Otis, we've really kept away from these big meetings. 
I've come to America maybe twice a year uh, since that time. But usually it is to attend small retreats like this one you've just organized here. And also places where God releases us to participate. Praise the name of the Lord. All right. Okay. I think there are things God, God wants to do in our day. God wants to do in our day. Which are going to uh, which are going to cause the world to wonder. But it seems to me God is looking for people who are not looking for media exposure and the, the, this American thing which you have. I don't know what to call it. <laughs> it's the, you see, the, the marketing you have in the secular world has moved into the church. And we, you, you know, we run Christian ministries in the same way. Celebrated celebrity. Celebrity culture. Yes. Um, all right. Preach. Now, from the time, <laughs> preach it, brother. <laughs> uh, from the days of Idi Amin, the biggest felt need we've had in our country has been the, the you know the desire for security, for quiet and security. We've experienced lots of um, you know terrorism and wars and so on. And it's interesting that those are the areas where God has taught us a lot when it comes to prayer and intercession. And one of the stories which I shared last year in September was something which happened in 2015. The start of the year, there was a lot of insecurity in the city of Kampala, but also in Kenya. That's the time when 148 students were gunned down by Al-Shabaab. Uh, you know, terrorist movement from Somalia. This was in Kenya. That was the beginning of 2015. And we got worried in Uganda because Al-Shabaab hate Uganda more than Kenya. We have more soldiers of the Uganda army in Somalia than all those African nations Uganda has. Uganda army has actually is the one keeping peace in Somalia if I can put it this way they talk of the uh, they talk of the soldiers who are keeping peace in Somalia it's a, it's a multinational you know force the bigger group of them is Ugandans Ugandan soldiers so they hate Uganda now they had you know killed so many students in Kenya and they were vowing they were going to attack Uganda next and so every day people are fearing our educational institutions will get attacked the way the University of Garissa in Kenya had got attacked. And that was the time when I was reading in the book of Zechariah, chapter 1, verse 8. I quoted that scripture last September. That I saw by night a man standing among the myrtle trees. And there were three horses, there were three groups of horses red horses, white horses, and speckled horses. And Zechariah asked the angel uh, who was talking to him, what are these? And he was told these are the ones God has sent throughout the earth to move to and fro. And they gave the report that after they're moving to and fro throughout the earth, the whole earth was rest resting quietly. Now, when I read this, and I'd read it many times before, I prayed and I said, Lord, you have contingents of angelic horses which patrol the earth. Which patrol the earth. Why don't you send us a contingent of them in our nation and our region so they could give the same report that all the way from Congo border, the west of Uganda, up to the Indian Ocean, the region is resting quietly. And the Lord spoke to me by the Holy Spirit. If you and your friends move along the streets and the highways praying, I, the Lord, will command my angels to follow your route step by step. I remember I went to our regular weekly meeting for prayer for the nation. And almost literally grabbed the microphone from the leader. I told them I have the latest word from the Lord. 
Anyway, I went humble. I said, brethren, I believe God has shown me the strategy for prayer. Why don't we start patrolling our streets? Like police patrol streets. We patrol our streets. And God says, wherever we patrol, he will command his angels to follow the route. Take the initiative, God will follow it up. That was April 2015. And we began twice a week patrolling the streets of Kampala in the night. Kampala is our national capital. From 9 o'clock until midnight, the second watch of the night. During the day, there is a lot of traffic. It's difficult to move. So in the evening, we'll start off at 9 o'clock and just patrol the streets like police do in vehicles. That's when we coined a new uh, word in uh, spiritual warfare, new term in spiritual warfare. You know, we know about prayer walks. This time we invented a new, we coined a new term, prayer patrol. Prayer walk, you do it on foot. Prayer patrol, you do it on horses. And these, horse, these days, horses are Toyota and uh, Mercedes Benz and so on, Ford. Uh, horses. But somebody remarked yesterday that we measure their power in horsepower. <laughs> so it's the horses. Now, something incredible happened. And I want to just repeat a little detail of this. Something incredible happened. After a few weeks, our army and police began to arrest so many Al Shabaab. We are trying to come into our country. Now, at the end of May 2015, Kenya House of Prayer, the prayer movement in Kenya, invited me to share with them because they were fed up with the trouble they were getting in Kenya from Al Shabaab. They brought together a retreat of about 400 intercessors, and it was a fasting weekend, Friday to Sunday. When I got into the meeting, I had been busy moving up and down in Uganda, and I was very tired. So I came in on a Friday, I remember the dates very well, Friday 29th May 2015, into Sunday. I shared with them Zechariah chapter 1, verse 8 to 11, the same word about patrolling the streets and patrolling the highways that God will command his angels to follow the route we take, step by step. On Saturday 30th May, the leaders of Kenya House of Prayer mobilized the 40 vehicles we had in the compound of the retreat. We could only fit in 200 people. Other people had come in by public transport. And we invaded Nairobi at night. It was about 10 o'clock in the night. Now, the leaders sent patrol teams to pray in the different directions of the city. Now, the group I went with, we went to the center of the city. There is a quadrangle where most of the government offices are, including their high court and also the, you know, the parliament. And around midnight, we're making a second round of that uh, quadrangle. And we came to the gate of parliament. I told the leaders of Kenya House of Prayer, this is a gate of the legislative house of this nation. And it was coming to midnight. I said, this is a gate of time. Moving from Saturday 30th to Sunday 31st May. Let's do a spiritual legislation closing the old chapter of death and terrorism and opening a new chapter of peace and quiet in the country. They took it up and prayed as we passed by the nation's parliament. The testimony, I think I gave this testimony last year. From that date until today, there has not been another attack of Al Shabaab within the borders of Kenya. Al Shabaab, the, you know, the, 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 the army, Kenya army, and police began to arrest Al Shabaab left and right. They got so frustrated, they realized something had happened in Kenya which they couldn't get over. And that is when they attacked the Kenya base inside Somalia and killed some Kenya soldiers there. When I next met this group of leaders from Kenya, they were very discouraged by the deaths of their soldiers inside Somalia. I told them, look, we're in a war. Sometimes we lose and we're not very sure what happened. 
Let's learn how to cover our soldiers inside Somalia and not only within the Kenya borders. I don't know if some of you have been following the story of Al-Shabaab. The name is still there, but it's like a bee which has lost its sting. It's not like Boko Haram in Nigeria, which has really troubled that nation for some time. And we've been advising our brethren in Nigeria to do what God has been teaching us in East Africa, going to the actual front where the trouble is taking place. God moves to change the situation. I want to conclude by sharing which, something which is very strong on my heart. And uh, I wanted to give all these testimonies to share um, you know, some of the powerful results of prayer that we have experienced in the last few years uh, in Uganda. Let's turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, and verse 12. Just one scripture. Now, there are some scriptures which... Uh, intercessors are taken as their scriptures uh, from the Bible like Second um, Chronicles chapter 7 verse 13 and 14 say with me that is our scripture <laughs> that is our scripture <laughs> please say with me that one is our scripture <laughs> alright now how, which other scriptures have we taken as our scriptures in the Bible Second uh, Chronicles seven thirteen and fourteen. Another one. Luke eighteen. Luke. Luke eighteen. Luke eighteen. Okay. Jeremiah. Um, you're not mentioning some of the more, more common ones, uh, like Paul's teaching to Timothy. Okay, when we gather together as God's people, first of all, pray for all in authority and so on. Those are the scriptures we use commonly. Now, one of those passages is Isaiah 58. Now, we all know what Isaiah 58 is talking about. It's one of those scriptures we share a lot concerning the, way, the right way of fasting. Verse 12 says, Those from among you shall build the old west places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the bridge and the restorer of the streets to dwell in. Now, the earlier verses are talking about the right way of fasting. And then verse 12 says, It will be members from among you who, whom God will use to build the old west places. And you raise up foundations of many generations. You'll be called the repairer of the bridge, you know, the gap in the wall and the restorer of the streets to dwell in. Now, what I see in this, God seems to be saying that the intercessor will become the reformer. Did you hear me? Yes. The intercessor, those from among you who carry out the right way of fasting, the intercessors, the praying people. God will now use you as the reformers. Those from among you shall build the old west places and shall raise up the foundations of many generations. Now, I've been particularly concerned for our continent of Africa. Those of you who have visited Africa is one of the most blessed of the continents. We have tremendous resources very good people but it's among the poorest of the continents and I've been wondering we talk about revival and we have mega churches in Africa we have big prayer movements Africa has prayer meetings where you have 8 to 10 million people gathering in one place I've been to such places in Nigeria. The prayer movement in Africa is, I mean, is big. In Uganda today, we've had big prayer meetings taking place in the stadium. We've had prayer meetings in big compounds and so on. Any day you visit Kampala, there is a big prayer meeting somewhere. 
in the last few years it's been a lot now when god began to stir up my heart concerning this that the intercessors will become reformers i remembered moses moses interceded for the hebrews god took him to midian and he learned how to go to the mountain of god he's the one who named it the mountain of god because he would go there to pray for long periods and god would show up so he started calling mount horeb the mountain of god the mountain where god shows up if i can put it that way <clears throat> but then after praying for some time god visited him and he said i want to send you back to egypt to deliver the hebrews so the intercessor was to become the messiah are you getting me are you picking what i'm saying Now with regard to the African continent God has been stirring my heart and those of, one, of you who are praying for us on the continent of Africa I want to leave this as a burden on your heart I've been engaged in prayer and intercession since the days of Idi Amin as um, we've shared a little bit and the biggest areas we've been engaged in is praying concerning insecurity in places and terrorism and so on and God has given us powerful you know results when this word began to come to me i remembered moses as he interceded according to the book of hebrews god began to download into his heart god's plan for the transfer, for the restore for the deliverance of the hebrews and in his case the intercessor became the messiah if i can put it that way moses became the deliverer the anointing of the messiah came upon him that's what i'm saying hebrews says he saw the the one who is invisible now you you know the passage i'm talking about in the book of hebrews about moses moses yes now what i saw as i studied moses is that as he sought god god began to download into his heart a plan for the deliverance of the hebrews and i believe that's what god is doing right now concerning the african continent and this is the burden i want to leave with you 30 years ago in the year 1987 i had an incredible vision i saw on the continent of africa Maybe I'll just read this through because time is gone. Uh when I try to describe it, I'll take long. Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just get it. And I'll just read it. Yeah. During the year 1980 get the letters larger Okay during the year 1987 God gave me a vision of what at that time I called cities in the countryside. It is now more than 30 years ago since I got that vision. The vision was so vivid in my mind that whenever I had the opportunity to speak in Christian fellowship meetings or preaching in churches, I talked about it that 30 years ago. I saw in the vision groups of christians relocating out of the cities and the urban areas into the vast open countryside and starting new settlements and villages moving away from the urban areas into the countryside and starting new villages there these were well planned villages with large compounds having all the amenities that people find desirable in the cities the houses had electricity and running water 
and they were very well constructed and maintained like modern city homes. I'm talking about Africa. In the large household compounds, the families established cottage industries. You understand cottage industries? Yes, all right. They produced a whole array of products from their own family for their own family use and for sale. They produced domestic furniture. They made mats and carpets. They knitted sweaters. They sold clothes. They manufactured shoes. They produced butter and ghee. They packaged spices. They bottled drinks and manufactured a whole range of household products. Also, along the perimeter of those villages, there were ranches and agricultural farms producing both food and cash crops. Most of the household cottage industries were packaging products from these agricultural farms. At the center of each village, there was a large space where the community constructed their church hall. And there was another hall for community activities and recreation. Then there was a school, a hospital, a guest house, and there was also a line of shops that would call a shopping mall in today's language. This was 30 years ago. Because the homes were organized like urban housing estates, the villagers had mobilized themselves and constructed water pumping stations that took water from dams at the nearby rivers and provided water for every household. They also provided water for irrigating the agricultural farms bordering the communities. The Christians who migrated from the urban areas to establish these villages and settlements were preaching the gospel in the rural areas, and the rural populations were turning to Christ. The follow-up of these believers to establish them in the faith was different from what we traditionally do in the church. In addition to teaching and drilling them in the basic Christian doctrines and practices, they were being taught practical life skills. They were getting training in the skills employed in the cottage industries established by these urban Christians, and they got employed on these agricultural farms and in the cottage industries. The new believers were helped to improve their rural homes, and they were also taught the Christian values of the fear of God, the importance of family, righteous uh, conduct, integrity, hard work, creativity and enterprise, cleanness and hygiene, orderliness, charity, and the caring for the poor and the disadvantaged in society. These new communities in the rural country said look like self-contained economic units. They both exported to the urban areas and also traded with other communities around the country with their communities and products. There was neither hunger no poverty in these villages. People looked engaged and happy. It was observed in the early church that there wasn't anyone among them who lacked. That time the rich sold the excess property and shared with the poor. In the new settlements which I saw in the vision, the urban Christians shared their advantages and engaged the rural populations. They transformed their vision and outlook in life until there was no one who felt disadvantaged in life. Now that was the vision I saw in, 20, in 1987. Now I talked about it at that time because I was so excited by this thing which I saw. It looked like heaven had come to Africa. <laughs> But after talking about it for two years and not seeing much fruit coming out, I, you know, kind of ebbed off and uh, stopped talking about it. Last year, 2017, there were some things happening in our country which caused me to call. There was a drought in a part, two portions of the country, two parts of the country which caused me to call on telephone one of the Christian leaders who has established a farm in the countryside. So I called him, I said, how are you coping with water? Because the area where you have engaged, where you have started a farm, um, gets bad droughts. 
And he said, I have water to last for two years. I've dug dams and I've done this and that and the other. And then he stopped in the conversation. He said, Laban, do you remember what you shared with us 30 years ago? I said, what? He said, you talked about these communities in the countryside. He said, yes, of course I remember. He said, I was inspired to start this farm from the vision you shared 30 years ago. Now, as he talked on telephone, the Holy Spirit spoke to me that the time has come for that vision to be fulfilled. Now, when this came to me, we have been trying to establish efforts to help in the areas of drought as kind of energy or charitable effort. And I I realized God was saying, no, don't go into charitable work. The way I want to establish my church from this point onwards is not to have congregations, but to have whole villages of communities coming up where the whole village is a church. Now, when I saw it, there was an excitement in my heart. But because I have to conclude, let me, you know, cut out a few details here and there. Because I believe you've got the, 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 the matter. You've got the matter. Recently, we had a conference of the Africa Prayer Movement, Intercessors for Africa. We held it in a Frankfurt country. We held it in Abidjan in Ivory Coast, some of you know West Africa with those nations. Mm -hmm. Now in the meeting, our leadership of intercessors for Africa, our chairman is a Nigerian gentleman called Emeka, and he's a no-nonsense guy. (laughs) Uh, When you're coming into a meeting like this, the speakers have to be clearly clearly prepared. And uh, he's, uh, okay, he's uh, charismatic. But he doesn't believe in just releasing the meeting into chaos. You need to come prepared. Now, he did something I've never seen him doing. We began the conference by the leaders coming together and we map out the whole week. Monday evening, people come in and we're going on to Saturday morning. Now, we gave out every um, you know, every one of the, se- the sessions to different people to lead, different people to do different things in the program. And we covered the whole week, except Friday morning. One session was left blank. We said we use that for whatever comes up during the course of the week. Now, when it came to Wednesday, the ladies in the conference came to our chairman and said they want a ladies' meeting. And the delegation was sent, it came, was led by our chairman's wife. And so he was soft towards his wife. He said, okay, we'll give you Friday morning. Then he announced that we're going to have men outside just roaming about, waiting for the ladies to have their session, and then we'll come back and join them. When it came to Friday morning, he did something I've never seen him doing. He said the men are going to gather in the dining room and Laban Jumba is going to lead them. He hadn't told me before. <laughs> I knew what I would share with the men. So we went and I told them I had not prepared properly for this meeting because you remember what the chairman had said. But I know what I want us to discuss. So I will share a little bit and then we discuss. So, whatever went on, went on. Now, when I ended bringing the topic, one of the leaders stood up and said, Laban, why don't you share with us the vision you had 30 years ago? I was not willing to share in that meeting, but the other leader said, yes, please share it. So I shared it. Immediately I shared in the discussion Sorry, I'm I'm concluding. Let let me just give a few sentences and sit down. Um, Immediately, I concluded 
somebody stood up in the meeting and he said this that he had wanted to change his mind about coming to the conference because after he made the booking he didn't get a response uh, interesting enough for him to come to the conference so he was about to cancel his coming to the conference he's traveling from another country to Abidjan he wanted to cancel the journey and then he had a vision in the vision God told him that the conference you're going to there will be a session of discussion and in that session the leader will share the vision for the future of Africa go and attend the conference to receive that vision so he comes to the conference Monday there is no discussion session Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday morning we come into this meeting for which I was not prepared so I shared briefly and then we went into discussion and then somebody requested me to share this vision so this guy stood up feeling very emotional he said this is exactly what God told me a week ago I must come to this meeting because there is the vision for the future of Africa will be shared in the meeting in a discussion session now from that time I realized as intercessor there is an extra dimension we must hear from God not only praying and interceding but receiving vision for the future of our families the future of our communities the future of our cities the future of our nations and we are at a time when the nations are confused and the intercessors the praying people God is going to turn them into reformers to transform to bring the future of the nation I retired from being senior pastor I don't know what time you use here in America leading pastor or something like that in 2015 at the end of 2015 and that's when the Lord began to speak to me about the future of my engagement and the future of the continent we have invested in land the last few months and we are launching the first such community in Uganda praise the name of the Lord I am seeing a different continent in the next few years. Amen. When he talked, uh, who talked about the system of Babylon, I see most of the nations are going the direction of Babylon, where elderly people are taken to old people's homes. That system of Babylon. Here in our communities, we have elderly people staying right in the community, looking after the grandchildren and being kept the church is the community i'm seeing a new face of the church of the future as god has been speaking to us food served in these big cities it is so poisoned because to feed millions you have to grow inorganic food in our communities we're going to grow our own food we are not under pressure of producing tons and tons of food to feed multitudes we feed them on healthy food i can see the system of babylon and this one is a movement of god to counter what the devil is doing with the babylon let's pray lord our god i want to pray for myself and pray for these your people we have gathered together to pray for revival but maybe you have a different vision of the revival of this season maybe it may not be the same vision the same kind of revival that we have experienced in the past but like you spoke to me an invasion of the rule of the kingdom of god in the communities in cities in villages and nations i pray lord that we may go beyond the immediate thing we are seeing in our natural vision as the needs of new england as the needs of america as the needs of africa 
but to come into the heart of your vision, the vision of your heart for our communities and our nations. Because it seems to me you want to confound the wicked one who has put nations in bondage of Babylon and you want to deliver us. And it is the intercessors and praying people who are going to become the reformers to start a new way of life. Not only in Africa, you've been like you've been speaking to us, but even in America, even in the so-called advanced nations, because that's where the system of Babylon seems to be holding strongest. Yeah. Yeah. In Jesus' name I pray. Yeah. Amen. 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 Amen.